Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Welcome to another episode of the Addy Hour. It's been a while since I've hosted a conversation, so I'm grateful to be back here with all of you and honored to be able to host another dynamic conversation. Today, we'll be talking about social justice, activism, and health disparities. And I have two esteemed guests, which I'm really looking forward to introducing to both to all of you, both of them to all of you, Dr. Pebbles Fagan and Dr. Kendra Outler. I'm going to go ahead and start with Dr. Outler. Dr. Outler and I have interacted in the past, but it's our first time interacting on this podcast, so I'm grateful for her to be here today. She is a graduate of the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. After medical school, she completed and started a residency in family medicine, also practiced primary care before deciding to specialize in anesthesiology. Currently, she's an anesthesiologist with the Wounded Warrior Initiative at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. In that arena, she's now able to combine her love of teaching about race and medicine and health equity with providing critical care for the most in need due to poverty, trauma, and social displacement. She also worked in Atlanta in the mid-90s, working specifically on the Atlanta Tuberculosis Project during the height of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. So within that, she's been able to use her understanding across all these different aspects to create Uzima Health and Wellness, and this is a digital platform that's designed to change the narrative and lead the conversation about health disparity from a community-first focus. Dr. Outler has been featured on numerous media outlets, including Ebony, CNBC, Authority Magazine, also featured extensively on BlackDoctor.org and DocWire News. So it's my privilege and honor to be able to welcome Dr. Kendra Outler to the Addy Hour podcast. Hey, hey, Dr. Addy. And should I call you Dr. Nee Addy? I appreciate you. Of course. Uh, it's exciting to be on your platform. I've watched it grow. And of course, you have the most awesome guests. So I'm, ex I'm excited about who I'm on, on with now. Uh, and I thank you for that generous uh, introduction. I, um, you know, I uh, work now, just an update. I am now at Cook County Hospital in Chicago. Mm. Uh, it has been my privilege to serve as a contractor uh, for the Wounded Warrior uh, initiative at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Uh, the war has ended, but we still have wounded people, mm -hmm. you know, out here. Uh, and as I've shifted over to serving the underprivileged and, and really uh, the urban poor, um, 
at Cook County, Chicago, which is where I trained. Uh, my chairman had only to ask me one time, will you come back? And so wow. I am just getting there, uh, but I'm among friends. Uh, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get a hug from a nurse that remembers me when I was their <laughs> Cook County baby. <laughs> and uh, so they, they are very uh, happy and I've been open, welcome with open arms. And there are a lot of challenges right now mm. uh, in Chicago. Uh, we still have the urban poor black community. And we are, that's becoming um, desolate or juxtaposed to the migrant crisis, mm. uh, which as we're talking about justice, uh, we're looking at it on the media right now from a housing and, and, and justice and space uh, a question. But soon with the cold and the winter is going to be a health uh, justice mm. uh, that had a conversation. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's kind of uh, interesting to be there at this time as I'm just watching the media clips only address the housing and environmental mm -hmm. justice aspect of it. Uh, so the lots to do, lots of work to do. So I'm excited to be um, here to talk with you more about these issues. Well, thank you so much for that update. And it's it's encouraging to hear how you've been welcomed back with open arms and just to see that full circle moment and to know that you're continuing in that important work in so many different ways, the pieces that you're already addressing the pieces that you know need to be addressed and already grateful just to hear about this next chapter and what you're uh -huh. continuing to do going forward. Thank you. The next guest that I'd like to introduce is actually a return guest, Dr. Pebbles Fagan, who was with us for an in-person conversation that I hosted. Oh, I'm losing track of time. I'm not going to guess on how long ago it was, uh -huh. but we had a very dynamic conversation there as well. Uh -huh. And so I'm happy to be able to have her back on the podcast and to have her partnered here with Dr. Outler. So by way of introduction, Dr. Pebbles Fagan is a professor and the director of the Center for the Study of Tobacco in the Faye W. Boozman College of Public Health uh, the University of Arkansas. She's also the director of research in the Office of Health Initiatives and Disparities Research. She also serves as a senior advisor uh, to the director of the Office of Smoking uh, and Health at the CDC. So someone who's very busy about the work that she does. She was formerly a program director for the Cancer Prevention and Control Program at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center and has also served as a health scientist in tobacco control research branch at the National Cancer Institute. So again, even as we were talking offline, she asked me how I juggle all of my roles. I asked her <laughs> the exact same question as you can hear, and I haven't even mentioned everything. So Dr. Fagan is someone who for 25 years has been conducting uh. research that seeks to understand factors associated with tobacco use and exposure in racial and ethnic groups, women, low socioeconomic status groups, youth and young adult populations, and she has been developing community interventions that aim to reduce tobacco and cancer health disparities. I haven't listed all the roles, but she also directs, uh, also directs many different grant projects. She just mentioned two more that she received um, information about funding. So someone, again, who's very busy about her work, making a dramatic and huge and powerful impact in so many different areas. And so I'm honored to be able to welcome Dr. Pebbles Fagan back to the Addy Hour podcast. Thanks, Dr. Eddie. It's great to be here again. It might have been two years ago when I we so. first <laughs> talked and um, had the stage at, at our professional meeting. But it's good to be here, and it's uh, good to be here um, with uh, uh, Dr. Otler as well. And I'm just looking forward to having a conversation with you guys. Excellent. Well, as the listeners can already appreciate, I'm here with two dynamic women who are 
really leaders in so many different ways, uh, leading by example, leading in the work that you do and your effective leadership. And I'm sure that's something we'll jump into as well, just in terms of how you've built teams to be able to continue in that work and as your roles have shifted over time. But as I always do, wanted to just start out checking in with both of you. Dr. Adler, I think we'll start with you as you've talked a little bit about your transition to this new role and just how you're doing um, at this point in time. I, well, great. <laughs> I, you know, we thank, you know, we do. We have to count it all joy, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, and I do use that model. We, we have to count it all joy, the ups and the downs. We are very fortunate to have these abilities to change uh, hats in terms of our roles uh, and change and put on more. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I think that uh, that's what the pandemic showed us. Um, and uh, leaders like Dr. Fagan, and then other leaders across the nation from, you know, Arkansas um, to, you know, everywhere, California, uh, over to count, Cook County, Chicago. Um, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And that's the thing that's so striking is that while we, you know, these the, the, the light came on about, you know, the health disparities, right, it's out now. Uh, but now comes the work of what's the best way to approach this problem. Mm -hmm. So while I, I am a clinical physician, uh, my contribution has been to develop this digital platform, Museum of Health and Wellness, because that's what we had to do. We had to reach people through their phones and, you know, you and I as science, science and medical experts said, okay, well, how do we continue to get messages out? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, unfortunately, I felt that the mainstream media was not saying words that I was hearing from my patients. They were not able to convey the fear, the economic uh, fear, uh, the desperation in, in people's lives. Um, you know, there's one thing to do sound bites. There's another thing to really kind of put your ear to the ground, as we would say. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I developed Uzima. I had something to say. Um, I felt like friends, my friends at the NIH were losing funding. For, for instance, my friends at Sickle Cell were whispering that, well, the research they had done was halted, right? Because they were moving towards COVID and COVID became the headline, but they had dedicated their lives to this type of work. And I'm thinking, what else? HIV, cancer outcomes, mm. tobacco usage. What else have we stopped because of COVID? Not to say that it's, you know, that, that you know, we, we had a decision to make, you know, mm -hmm. in, in my, my world, ER and, and anesthesia, we call it triaging, right? So we did have to triage this situation. Uh, mm -hmm. But Uzima was born from that, and what's exciting now is that um, we can put boots on the ground. Mm. We can we can get out there, and the, uh, the messaging is there, the platform is there, but now we can put boots on the ground. So how am I? I'm energized. I'm, I'm more focused on what Lang Uzima needs to move in forward to set as, as we laid out the playing field of uh, attacking uh, health disparity, right? Mm. Um, and everybody's going to have a lane, everybody's going to have a task, and hopefully we can overcome health disparities and at least accomplish what the CDC is called Healthy People 2030. Mm -hmm. We've got to get, it was 20, what was it, 20 Healthy People 2010, Healthy mm -hmm. People 2000, right? 2000, yep. And we, yep. Keep, and we keep, so mm -hmm. let's see if we can make Healthy People 2030 uh, a realization. Mm. Wow, that's so, that's so helpful to hear. And I just uh, I appreciate the realities of what you've jumped into. I mean, both the the struggles and the challenge, but then also the encouragement. I mean, and the the progress. Even for me to hear about how you took a look at what was happening, paid attention to what you were hearing from your patients, and how that wasn't getting enough, you know, quote unquote, airplay, so to speak. But how important that was for people to actually have a realistic understanding about what was happening on the ground. So 
again, just applaud you for the work that you're doing to make sure that those voices are heard and then to be proactive and intentional in making changes and steps to actually bring things along as well. So thank you so much for that. Dr. Fagan, what about you in this, in this moment with that same question? You know, it's just nice to wake up each day and Mm. um, to be in your right mind and soul and body. And uh, because one of the things that, you know, COVID taught us that Mm -hmm. we lost hundreds of thousands of lives in the U S and millions worldwide. And so I, I have to, one of the things that the pandemic is continuously teaching me is, you know, just breathe every single day. Um, and, and, yes. and so while we got really, really busy um, at the same time, you know, I think some of us learned to breathe throughout <laughs> everything that was going on um, because our breath was taken away mm-hmm. and you have to reclaim it back and you have <laughs> to remind yourself of the importance of doing it every single day. And Uh so, you know, when we run through the list of things that we have to do every single day with a smile on our face, you know, I always remind myself, I wake up, I look outside, I see the sun shining Mm -hmm. and I take in those moments before Uh I get about the business of making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we have to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of other people, take care of our communities and, um, and, you know, what I'm always reminded of is uh, when we think about how we collectively are doing is okay. to assess collectively, you know, how I'm doing, how we as communities are collectively doing and have our pulse on that at every single point mm-hmm. in time so that when we're doing the business that we do, that we're coming up with the right solutions mm-hmm. that force us to one day get to the point of never talking about disparities Mm. never talking about disparities so Mm. so that's how i'm doing and Mm. um, (laughs) you know uh, certainly over the last three years i have taken a different turn in Mm. terms of how i'm approaching my work with really focusing on social and structural factors that impact why we see these disparities in the first place Mm. wow well thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, you framed it in sharing how you're doing, but I know just as the listeners are listening to that and receiving a word of encouragement for them as well. I mean, I'm going to make it personal and say like, as you were talking, that was really encouraging to me as well. Even as we were all talking online about all the business and the tasks that we're about on day-to-day basis, aspects of accreditation, all these different things, but to just hear you put that in perspective is so helpful and and so important. I mean, we could probably just stop the episode now and let people just walk away (laughs) with that. Obviously we have a lot more to talk about, but yeah. So I want to thank you for for that framing okay. and for that uh, that wisdom and that encouragement as well, and just for everything again that you both are doing. Uh, one thing that I want to do, something that I heard in both of your comments already, and I also heard Dr. Outler say specifically, but just about this aspect of the health disparities work and how I think Dr. Outler said the light came on in a sense. My uh-huh. curiosity question is with that light coming on, but then also knowing that both of you and many others have been about this work before that light quote unquote came on. So what has your, what's the right way to say it's your perspective, your emotional reaction, your practical response as others have seemed to have woken up. And I use that term broadly Uh knowing that there's all sorts of implications with what's happening, (laughs) that word, but how have you navigated in that? Because people, different people have different reactions to that, whether it's frustrating, opportunistic, Uh or this is a momentary, uh, 
initiative. And I, and I know I've thrown a lot out at once, but I want to just kind of get your perspective on how you've navigated as as the world has paid more attention and we hope we'll continue to pay attention to those pieces. So Dr. Outler, maybe we can start with you. Well, you know, thank you for that question uh, because, you know, one of my mantras to my residents is, you know, you do need to take your emotions out of some things, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we gotta, you're going to deal with patients that are frustrating. You're going to deal with patients that you cannot convince to do X, Y, Z. This is not an emotional time, okay? And when you start to put those things there, you can't go about the work of taking care of the patient because you now are being uh, clouded by how you are feeling, right? Mm. Uh, So, of course, when the pandemic happened and uh, the news came on about disparities and I'm seeing newscasts don't look like me, will this world word and the sister, I call it my Susan Moore lecture uh, of the... uh, uh, family medicine or primary care doctor that died in the hospital. I'm angry, you know, because mm-hmm. is this entertainment or is this something that we have seen before and we still are getting it wrong? We're still mm-hmm. missing uh, moments where we can intervene to help people live longer. Okay. So you're angry. Um, you know, I read some of the, you know, she, at, you know, she was added to our uh, Black Lives Matter, of course. So mm-hmm. finally, the what we call uh, deaths in medicine was being recognized as preventable, being recognized as something that uh, bias that you know bias has contributed to. So within my space, we need to have these very honest conversations uh, with medical students, uh, with residents, with faculty, and so I became involved. I, I was able to you know create a um, a lecture for the military, which has been insulated, that really had a hard time saying, we're not, you know, practicing unfairly. Everybody gets medical care. Mm-hmm. But there is still bias in that process. So, you know, that leads me to your, your you know, so was I angry? Yes. But mm-hmm. I had to say, what is the work that needs to be done? And so I always kind of, you know, so that again, here again, I would come home from anesthesia uh, from five to midnight and I'm typing my heart out. You know, and I can't get it to the Washington Journal. I can't get on CNN. I can't get. Mm. And so, voila, you know, we had platforms develop that wanted to do what? Disseminate this information. And so where am I now? I'm now in a resolve that we need to make sure this information is reachable to our communities because uh, we still need to get there. We still need to penetrate there. There still needs mm. to be, there still seems to be a disconnect between you know, our good intentions as providers and institutions to highlight this message to what our communities can do to improve their lives. So you go from, you know, anger to action mm. uh, to uh, empowerment. Uh, and that's, that's you know, that's how I've approached it. Um, and I hope to continue to move in that spirit, uh, if you would say. But yeah, to listen to people talk about COVID the way we talked about HIV in 1989 and 1990. Mm. Um, And then, you know, this is not new. We've been in this fight. We really Mm -hmm. have been in this fight. And that's what you kind of want to yell instead of TV. (laughs) And then I just started speaking and, you know, somebody said, how did you get this much on using my health and wellness? That every month I took down a health disparity issues and wanted to know what the community was saying and match mm. that up to what my community as health providers was saying. Mm. And voila, here we are. Mm. And it's more to do, more conversations to be exactly. had. Well, thank you for sharing that that honest perspective and how you've just <laughs> navigated through and continue, I, I mean, taking that anger to ang- action. 
um, and I'm trying to have prevention as well. So definitely, yeah. again, I know I'm saying this over and over, but I'm so appreciative of the work that you are doing. I'm glad that you're you know sharing it so broadly, and hope that our listeners okay. are getting a lot of that out of that as well. Dr. Fagan, what about you? Yeah, you know, I think um, um, from anger to action to retaliation, mm. <laughs> uh, and 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 let me explain what I mean mm -hmm. by that because uh, with the uh, uh, the visual exposure of what happened to George Floyd, mm -hmm. we were angered, right? Uh, along with what was happening with the pandemic, people became empowered. And then because you become empowered That's and the light has been turned off, society then begins to retaliate, right? And you see that retaliation through, we're going to take down diversity, equity, inclusion. We are going to roll back resources that help people get food. Mm. We are going to begin to wear down the workforce so they're not able to perform at the levels that they need to perform at. And we're going to strip people mm -hmm. of various things, which is why you see all of these strikes happening across the country. So for communities that are experienced marginalization and oppression, the exposure, which then causes us to act then experience retaliation needs to cause us to continue to act mm -hmm. and not be complacent there is people get tired mm -hmm. so then they stopped acting and moving forward in in an action format and the goal is to wear people down so that you cannot continue to move forward because the issues the number of issues that get thrown at our communities to have to deal with the pandemic, mm -hmm. police brutality, war targeting, hunger, joblessness or underemployment, okay, political targeting, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. So then you wear people down and then you get back to the same place where you were in that oppressive state because that cycle just continues itself. Mm. When I think about where we need to be in terms of health disparities today, you know, when healthy people began, we define health disparities looking at differences between groups. Um, and, um, and then later we started thinking about things like um, disparities in infrastructure and social factors. Mm -hmm. And also now we start to think more about historical trauma and colonization as the beginning of the trajectory of those mm -hmm. health disparities. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about historical trauma as a causal factor or colonization as a causal factor, that's that retaliation circle comes in because you are exposing now the root causes that mm -hmm. people do not want to admit to. They want to hide. They want to take it out of the history books. Mm -hmm. They don't want people to learn about that historical trauma and the colonization that then creates generations and generations and generations 
of social and structural and health disparities. I was very pleased that at the beginning of all these things happening, that the National Institutes of Minority Health had that special journal issue mm-hmm. that recognized historical trauma and colonization in the history as causal factors in health disparities. And I, today I still applaud, you know, mm. um, Dr. Eliseo Perez Stavas for taking and Monica Webb Hooper for really taking the lead, putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do and you be like, even with, with COVID, when you begin to expose why we saw those disparities in the first place mm-hmm. and people don't want to deal with that they just want to deal with the numbers but we have to deal with the social structural factors we have to deal with the history and take corrective action because if we don't acknowledge those things 20 years from now the three of us are going to be having this mm-hmm. same conversation mm-hmm. and i tell a lot of my um team members I had these same conversations in 1980. I don't mm. want to have them again. Mm. The Heckler Report has the same recommendations mm. in 1985 right. that we're still dealing with today. If you mm. look true. at the Heckler Report and you look at the recommendations, the mm. same things apply today. We have to stop having these conversations mm. and deal with these root causes mm. and not allow people to dictate to us whether we can or cannot talk about and deal with these root causes. Mm. And we have to know that we have the ability to do that. No one can tell us that we can't do diversity, equity, inclusion. We just do it. Mm. Yes. But our oppressive mind, someone says you can't do it. So then we think we can't do it. Mm. No, you can do whatever you want to do. As we see now. We used to teach our children on Saturdays. Because they weren't getting everything they needed to get on Monday through Friday. There's nothing stopping us from coming up with the solutions that we need to come up with, but Mm -hmm. collective action. Mm -hmm. I agree with so much. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Doctor. I was trying to restrain. I was feeling no. an amen come out, but I, did, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go well, there yet. Amen. <laughs> amen. Uh, because and I and I'm going to say that because you know you're you, you know when we look at institutions and again I look at patients um, pretty much every day uh, for the you know that that's been my study. That's been my what can I do different today? Just me. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm in a role as a physician leader. Mm-hmm. Now I can work, you know, with larger groups. I've been with my, uh, you know, arm and arm with at the NMA, and I came up through the ranks of SNMA. And you almost have to ask the question when you say we can do this, but why we are not? I ask mm-hmm. myself: Are we becoming institutionalized? Mm-hmm. Are we the people becoming too institutionalized? Because certainly, with the money that flows through the black community, okay. And I intentionally uh, use the word and have targeted my platform for the black community. Some people say black and brown. And I said, well, I know when I went to South Africa, they asked me, was I colored? And I said, no, I'm not colored. I'm a black American, right? Mm. Uh, and that's something else we saw uh, on, on the news when we started to try to make a big catch-all basket for Latino, brown people, mixed race. And, you know, it became like, okay, well, wait a minute. Hold on, you know, because my... Latin friends and my Hispanic friends and my Mexicano friends, they have different 
you know, they have sections of town and they have uh, uh, customs and cultures that I know when I have to interact with them and get ready to put them to sleep, I have to figure out a way to convey what I need to do to them. So we're not culturally all the same, which makes us a beautiful nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I say black community, uh, yeah, I'm intentional. Uh, just mm-hmm. as when we want the black vote, okay? When you want the black vote, you know where do you go? And, and they said, you know, you went to the black church to give your speech to get your, you know, your speech out, right? There was no black and brown. We went to the black church, mm-hmm. Antioch, or, uh, you know, uh, it, you know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, can I get a, a, any minute a hallelujah? So, <laughs> Amen. So, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, let's let's be clear, you know, mm-hmm. and it did point with health disparities, and I will say probably second to the Native American, our Native, Native American brethren, we did had catastrophic losses due to COVID and, mm-hmm. and then before that HIV, what have you. Um, so the point is we need to, we do have uh, money within the black community. We have dollars that are not being invested to act to to basically market to us to be better. Mm-hmm. And so, when you think about historical trauma, is it that they continue they or whatever the infrastructure is continues to see us valuable in in what we can either produce, and if we're not producing, then there's nothing to sell to us when it comes to making us healthy. Mm-hmm. And 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 when you know you and you and I, Doctor knee addy on these very you know high level institutions and in, in mm-hmm. terms of how we see things but day-to-day people what they remember is how we treated them mm-hmm. you know what happened when i walked in the door they're not thinking about the beyond the tuskegee experiment and bringing that into they remember that their aunt came into the hospital and she died and they don't know why mm-hmm. that's a failure of us to communicate mm-hmm. and when i tell patients when we well, I tell my residents, well, when something happens traumatic to a family member, we're not just affecting that person that you saw. They go back to a zip code, and mm-hmm. then that zip code says this about us. We say number, mm-hmm. numbers matter, and it says that now we've permeated a message that they did not take care of our auntie, and mm-hmm. they did something bad, and it, and, it, and it really may not be our fault. What is our fault is that we have a disconnect. Mm. And we need to get back to some of this, you know, reaching out to our grassroots organizations. So when the retaliation is the, the defunding, the retaliation mm-hmm. is the Sorry. miseducation. And, and, and so what we're seeing in places uh, like, like Chicago right now, if you turn on the news, and it, it pains me to see mm. black communities so angry. And they're, 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 they're saying this is our community. But when mm-hmm. you think about it historically, these are families that have been replaced from the projects. They finally got a home. They broke mm-hmm. that generational project life. They have a brick and mortar now. And now you want them to walk past uh, three and four and families begging for money. They're not bad mm-hmm. people, but they're saying, hold up. When does the cycle stop for us? Mm-hmm. We did everything you told us to do. You said you came up with a city plan. You said you wanted us to move into houses. You said uh, you wanted us to improve the schools. We are participating in our civic duty. Now you give us something else. To your point, Dr. Fagan. So, you know, we have to begin to say, okay, fine. Let's empower our community. Let's Mm. organize. Let's Mm -hmm. continue to do more than platforms. This is helpful. But we are now able to do boots on the ground, Saturday Mm -hmm. school, teaching our kids history lessons, okay? We also had community clinics that were run by volunteers, Mm-hmm. We can do that. We don't have mm-hmm. to just be angry. We can do that. And I think mm-hmm. that that's where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So important. I, I love what you said about um, questioning about how we have become institutionalized. Mm. Uh -huh. um, because I think that is uh, the root of the struggle for, for many people right now is uh -huh. we did everything we were supposed to do, right? Mm. And here we are still, mm. right? That's it. And, and, and so, and uh, many of us bought into that dream, right? Mm. Um, and now that dream is being shaken up and we are, have become people who have now have to question now what do we do hmm. uh to uh deal with this issue of have we become uh too uh institutionalized and hmm. so you know what i love about um chicago is is that um you know the coalition work grew out of solomon's uh -huh. work many many years ago and i you know i did a I, I evaluated a coalition for my dissertation many, many mm. years ago, mm. but I've come back to that. And mm. so when you talk about, you know, getting back boots on the ground. We, we started doing coalition building again with our rural communities, uh, because that was the way in order to get people reinvigorated and re-engaged in the issues. Mm. And so and we continue that work now because yes. I think it's mandatory that mm -hmm. we do the coalition work and that we grassroots work. That's what we used to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 because that's what's going to move communities forward. That's what's mm -hmm. going to protect people from retaliation. Mm -hmm. You don't have the collectivism, mm -hmm. you know, and this individualistic cultural thing will not protect us. Mm -hmm. Collective mm -hmm. effort us coming together with people, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson used to call it the rainbow coalition. But when yes. I think about the rainbow coalition, I'm thinking about social class as well, mm. that bringing yes. people across social mm -hmm. classes together in yes. order to make sure our communities are made well. And it's not going to be just dependent on the poor. It's not just going to be dependent That's on correct. the middle class. And it's not just going to be dependent on the upper middle class, I won't say mm -hmm. the wealthy, I'll say the upper middle class of Black people. It's the coalition across mm -hmm. all socioeconomic classes that is going to make the difference. Mm -hmm. And it calls on us doing Black philanthropy mm -hmm. in ways that are not just about do you have a dollar or a check that you can write? It's can you hold Saturday school? Mm. can yeah, you yeah. provide the water for the people who are out there mm. doing mm -hmm. this work mm. can mm -hmm. you provide places house people who need to come in town mm. because we need to come have them speak on a particular issue mm -hmm. black philanthropy occurs in a lot of different ways and every single one of mm. us no matter what social class we are part of mm. need to participate in that process as part of being a collective culture of mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. um, that's going to help solve these issues and help us get out of that cycle psychological cycle of oppression mm -hmm. you know that yeah. keeps us from being a collectivist culture mm. you know? mm. so wow so many rich pieces of conversation that you both yeah. highlighted and as you know uh -huh. as you were both talking i'm thinking oh this question that question then you all have actually <laughs> gone there already which is impressive and not surprising at the same time oh, yeah. um, okay. especially as you've talked about just the ways to fight against the retaliation and how important that is I'm curious, though, because you've talked about, you know, the coalitions across different groups. 
but in the spheres where you both work, particularly in different academic settings and government institutions, how do you keep those who are in those spaces, I should say those of us who are in those spaces, engaged and not feeling disheartened so that we really can kind of keep this aspect of this collective approach rather than having people feel like, well, now I'm stuck in this institution that doesn't care about X, Y, and Z, that does things X, Y, and Z way. And just that cycle that can happen so easily. Um, Just what are are some things that you've seen work in that regard? Because I imagine that would be very instructive for a lot of our listeners as well. Um, Dr. Adler, maybe we'll start with you on this one. I I feel what that question, um, because um, as we, you know, some of us have been propped up by other institutions to uh, say certain messaging. And that's something that I think we all have found. I think that, you know, creating honest platforms is always a challenge. Everybody does not have the same opinion. Okay. Whatever, you know, if you joined a club in college or in high school, you already know that. And you don't even have to join a club. You could, you could be part of a gang in the, in the street. You know what I'm saying? And everybody, mm-hmm. like Tupac said, got an MF opinion. And you have to create a space for that. You, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm amongst family now. We don't have to warm up. We don't have to warm up. No, you're good. <laughs> you said you know me. So, yep. No, seriously, everybody has an opinion. So mm-hmm. we, uh, so that is a challenge. Okay, and uh, there was a lot of bonding, like I said, when we're watching, you know, relatives uh, there, yeah. and we're watching. So there was a lot of bonding, and we do need to be careful as we enter this other phase uh, of, of of health disparity work and messaging that. You know, we don't lose that bonding. But what I tell people, uh, there's some weak soldiers out there, okay, and they're going mm-hmm. to fall off on the march. And you also, when we did the civil rights, you took you took the arm and arm, and you told somebody, "Help me get across that bridge or up that," because you were afraid. And so there's strength in numbers, and you mm-hmm. do find somebody that you can find. You you know, even when you march into war, what have you. You you get you get next to somebody that has the same pace, the same cadence, the same rhythm, mm, mm. and they may not go the the whole distance with you. But you know, I'm always, and this is something else I try to use on Uzima is we bring in this cultural thing where the pastor says, "But God sent us on this 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 message and this this path, right?" And then you're going to get somebody that's going to meet you to take you to the next point. Mm. So if someone says, "Ah, I'm ready to get off," or something happened allow for that don't Mm. discredit that say Mm -hmm. okay i appreciate the support you gave me whether it's one show or ten whether it's one event that you came if it's if it's this amount of money or a whole big old check i appreciate that opportunity as long as Mm -hmm. we have that moment in time are in the same message in the same step so i've had my the science sisters from the nia i just went out to the links uh breast cancer health uh a healthy walk, you know, mm. now I'm talking. So, er, so, so what I'm saying is every, every group that I'm interacting has a different cadence, mm-hmm. but the mission is still the same. Mm-hmm. Therefore my energy is up to do it. And that's, that's, you know, I, that's the way I approach it mm. and say, what, what can we do together right now in this space? Mm. And so I think that we do have to be careful not to become uh harsh or well, they don't really mean it. They don't, they're not really serious. Uh, take that value for moving forward to solving mm. whatever the issue is you're about to bring to the table, get your allies, and that can be across all lines, and move the ball. And that's, I think, if we approach this issue um, that way, we won't become um, 
you know, caught up in the emotions and the judgment of it. I just always have to caution that. Yeah. Great wisdom. Great wisdom in those words. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think we're, we're, we are at a critical juncture about, Mm -hmm. because we, we're, we are in an identity crisis, you Mm -hmm. know, because of, we, we believe certain things and certain things have not held for us. Um, And, and now we're trying to figure out where do we go? And um, as we move forward, you know, I agree with Dr. Otler. I mean, some people will contribute things along the way on this mm-hmm. love train that we're on, but people will get off at different stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 everyone has to decide, you know, if they don't continue for the long ride, um, then, you know, what is their contribution, you know, uh-huh. to uh, making sure that we can improve our communities um, from a lot of different angles. I mm-hmm. think one of the things we have to keep in mind, I was talking to a friend about this this morning, as we are on this journey towards trying to reduce health disparities that re- we remember, all of us are in these leadership positions with 20 different titles behind our names and mm-hmm. degrees, right? But there's room for everybody, mm-hmm. okay? One. I had to let my Southern part come in. Oh. There's room for everybody, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we have to remember wow. that because, you know, each of us may be, there may be one or two people who look like us in our space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and we have to remember that we can't be competitive. We have to mm-hmm. be complementary. Mm-hmm. We but, have to get out can you of- say that again? <laughs> <laughs> we have to be complimentary mm-hmm. and not take such great pride in I'm the first black person mm-hmm. to have it. That's a shame that we have to be that. But what? you know, we're all first black to do something, something. right? Something um, but uh I think you know, taking too much pride in that takes away from the fact that it's a shame mm-hmm. that we have to <laughs> say that. Right. And so what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, when we're in that space, we are the only ones bring everybody else along with you. Yep. And if you can't do it in that space, find another space. Mm. See, that's mm-hmm. when this whole thing about us becoming institutionalized. Should we be in the spaces that we're in? Mm. It's a question. I don't have the answer. Or should uh-huh, we uh-huh. be in a different space? Because uh-huh. we fought in the 1970s, 1980s, and before that to be in certain spaces. Yes. And we keep repeatedly being told, we don't want you here. Uh-huh. Okay? So the question is, for all of us, what do we do? Uh-huh. And some people... Uh, you know, made the decision that they're going to leave some of these places and go to Howard University, Meharry Medical College, Mm. Morehouse University, Morehouse Medical School. Some people have made those decisions. Mm -hmm. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, where do we best fit? (laughs) What are the battles that we really want to fight and where the places where we want to do it. Cause my mindset around where we should be and what space should we, we should be doing things in 
has certainly changed. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, as a result of some of the things that I've seen over the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. I just remember this experience I had, I went to a boarding school in Connecticut. I went to public high school as well, but I went to boarding school in Connecticut and I'll never forget my, um, my advisor there. Um, and this is a school that had about 500 students in it. There were probably 20 black and brown people and disadvantaged uh, white people, 20 of all of us mm-hmm. there. And I'll never forget, he said to me, Pebbles, I need for you to integrate yourself. I'll never forget he said that. Here I am at a school with 500 white students who are in a different social economic class than I am. I am here amongst the 20 and you are asking me to integrate myself. That was a lesson that I have held with me for the rest of my life. Mm. And I don't know that he he meant well, but Mm. I don't know if he actually understood what he was saying. So we have to reevaluate what it is that we want to do in society Mm. that's going to best benefit our people. I don't have the solution, but I think we need to Mm reevaluate it and think very carefully about what the solutions are to improve communities. I live in a state where when I moved here seven years ago to Arkansas, I kept asking, why haven't the tobacco use rates changed in 20 mm. years? Mm-hmm. People here are doing great work. They, I mean, to help people quit, to prevent, but the prevalence rate hasn't changed. Mm. And as I stayed here long, I realized until these social structural factors change, the tobacco use rate is not going to change. So I'm mm. spinning my wheels just trying to get people to quit when I really need to be focused on something else. Mm-hmm. So we have to all make that decision mm. about are we going to keep spinning our wheels, mm-hmm. having these same conversations, or are we going to create spaces mm. where we can really get the work done? Mm. That's so good. And asking the right question. I mean, as you landed at the end yeah. too, what questions are we asking? And do we, as you also mentioned, are we willing to have that iterative conversation? Because things will move. And to ask yourself, if the space that was working at this point in time, is that still working? Do I need to pivot? Do I need to come back? So I mean, again, there's so yeah. much wisdom in what you've shared and just importance for how we actually move forward as wow. a society and as a community as well. So Dr. Aller, anything you want to react to? And, uh, Dr. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, we definitely, I don't know, you know, I, I love being a physician. I love my space and I am the only, uh, black American in the department of anesthesia. We, mm-hmm. I'm in a special hospital at Cook County and that we are international. My chairman's from Russia, uh, Dr. Dr. is Nigeria, and they have another uh, brother, Gramas, uh, Dr. Gramas from Jamaica. We are very diverse. And I noticed that, you know, when I had a choice, you know, at, from the military to this public health institution, why would you go there? I mean, mm. but the fabric there, you know, we 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 uh, we are like an international uh, tribe there. And uh, <laughs> I love it, you know. And so I got to Cook County from Chicago, from I was in uh, Alabama. No, I was in uh, Hurricane Katrina. 
And current uh, New Orleans is very diverse. People do not know that New Orleans, due to their relationship with uh, Cuba, had and 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 uh, Guatemala had, you know, generations of diverse people, and also the Vietnamese community as well. They took a hard hit during uh, Hurricane Katrina. So I and and I grew up in Houston, and I have backgrounds in rural Georgia. So I'm used to you know kind of this this kind of diverse diverse background. Uh, so, you know, I would say when it comes to medicine uh, and and uh, hospitals, there's been this conversation about racism in medicine and racism in medicine, but we're also trying to recruit more black physicians. So what are we going to do? We're going to burn down the house. You're not going to go in the house. You're not going to work. You're not going to be the only only because you will be the only neurosurgeon. You will be the only urology resident. You will be the only and you got to be okay with that, okay? Because I need you on the other side of this, taking care of patients. So for us, uh, you know, I would say, this is the institution. I need you to go in the door. I need you to take a seat. And I need you to study. And I need you to get up. And I need you to be a better doctor, okay? And that, the, the, the question is not, how can we fight racism within the medical system? The medical system is a big corporate house. And sometimes you you, as you go through it, uh, you don't want your challenges don't not become a bad actor in it, okay? And I tell racists not just so who are you calling a racist if you you know you're that one black resident that lets a patient leave too soon and something bad happens and you have to confront your own bias. Did you let them leave because they were poor? Did you let them leave because you didn't uh, like the fact that they had nasty teeth or dirty clothes so you didn't bother to examine them? Uh, and that and, and that's. Those are the things that I have. We have to ask ourselves within my space of medicine. Our, our mm. hospitals are necessary, mm. uh, and places like Arkansas and deep in the Delta, Mississippi, they need hospitals. Right? Mm. Hospitals are closing across rural America, and they've also closed in urban cities. Hanuman closed during the height of mm. the pandemic. So we, we, when when this message of racism and structural racism in medicine and doctors are practicing right, what doctors? We doctors. That's what I would tell my residents. We're, we're doctors. Do you realize that you don't want, as we go through our medicine education, you may have seen a bias towards a patient and you could be a black resident and mistreat that same type of patient. Mm. You've devalued them. They're not a VIP, mm. you know, and we hear that a lot. I heard that both in both practices, in the military hospital, you know, mm. and, then, and then, of course, we notice how people start to stand to attention and when a certain person comes in the to the to the uh, operating room, mm. and that should be right. Mm. So I would say for for what I do, uh, we got to be in the space. Um, we have to realize that we definitely need more uh, hospital leadership that looks like us at the mm. the, the communities that they represent. Mm. That that is a question that we have to ask. But we also see how they the, it can close rank where you you're not able to get to that executive level so that you can look at the quality assurance of patients, right? Mm. You may not, and, and that is when you start to say, huh, so y'all not going to let me be on the quality assurance committee. Y'all not going to let me be on this committee. So then you have to start to create, again, some type of activism with other physicians. A lot of cities have uh, uh, the Houston Forum. I'm sorry about this with the computer. The Houston Forum. Uh, 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 medical societies that 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 we can talk and say mm. what are some of the challenges you're experiencing within your hospital. That's why the NMA is very important. And 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 while I, let me just digress a minute. When we talk about racism in medicine and this and activism, 
we never talk about the, the role of the of, of physicians marching for the right to practice, to take care of black patients, to take care of their mm. own community, to get hospital admitting patients. Mississippi recognized that and said they had a race and reconciliation meeting, okay, uh, with the with the black physicians. And mm. they had to realize that the reason they're behind in recruiting black doctors to, to Mississippi, the reason they're behind in care uh, for black patients is because of the racism that was practiced where doctors had, were pushed out of the state. They mm. were pushed out of boards. They couldn't open clinics and get certification and then have a referring hospital send their patients. That is why, uh, that's another reason why we're behind mm. on the numbers to take care of patients, why our patients don't have the adequate education to take care of themselves, why they've divested from health conversations and churches mm. that there's a, a, a legacy behind that mm. and when we talk about disparities when we talk about the cure we never bring that piece in there we mm. never talk about the civil rights movement for black physicians we need to talk about it on on tv shows we need mm. to educate uh people physicians and non-physicians about that struggle and then that will turn on pipelines that will turn on initiatives because they do need to right that wrong, and they still have not admitted to this type of um, discrimination in producing black physicians, even today. That's why you have schools with four black students and only mm. two graduate. I was one of um, uh, uh, 10 in my class out of 200 at the University of Texas. Uh, my dean, uh, Darlin Mann, he's white American. Uh, he was supportive. Uh, they asked me would I come. I would have loved to have stayed at Morehouse. I would have loved to have gone to Morehouse, right? Uh, but he said, would you come and take a chance on us? And I did. Mm. And I'm a better person because I mm. did. Because mm. I realized, huh, uh, they got a brain. I got a brain. Okay, well, I can study, you know? Mm. And, and and so while we can go out to these other institutions and feel othered, that's a process that as we become physician leaders and physician and scientists in these institutions, that othering stays with us. And so I would say for me, I'm going to stay in the fight and then do your activism and join with other groups like the NMA and other medical forums that support black physicians and, and remember that legacy that we had to be, to get in here to take care of patients. Mm. So well said, and just to know the work that you're continuing to do and the way that you're inspiring the next generation as well. Inspiring and challenging. And I think that's it is. an important piece that has to be there together. Because as you've both mentioned, we don't want to be having the same conversations in 20, uh -huh. 30 years as we're continuing to have that are already reflective of what we're talking about 30 years ago or so. So again, just really important, I think, for people to be able to grapple with all of that as well. Um, and again, so many important pieces. I am going to have to go back and listen to this conversation again because I know others will have to as well. Just so many important topics that you've both brought up too. Even, you know, Dr. Fagan, as you were talking about that being the only and the first, I mean, something I know all three of us can relate to. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was reflecting back on how many times that's happened to me in my career. And it's always that mixture of celebrating, but then also being frustrated, especially as I talk to those who've gone before me, emeritus faculty, who said we were fighting that same fight 35 years ago. And I hear the mixture of gratification that things are moving forward, but also disappointment that it's taken that long for the same issue to move forward. So, you know, holding both of those uh, together, I think is really important for us. 
But, you know, as we've talked about these pieces, as we're wrapping up, I did want to ask both of you, what gives you hope moving forward? And what do you see as important for us to be able to hold on to in terms of hope and actually moving things forward practically so we don't get stuck in a cycle of repetition over and over again? Dr. Figgin, I think we'll start with you this time. Yeah, I think that people are beginning to see the need for collectivism. Um, because again, our minds have been trained in this individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we have gotten away from, you know, how we were uh, throughout the civil rights movement mm-hmm. when we were very much codependent on each other, mm-hmm. not just within our no- own neighborhoods, but coordinated across the country. Mm-hmm. And so we need, um, people to continue to have broad-based coalitions that go from city to city. Um, That's what, um, you know, uh, the Black Lives Movement did. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, some of that momentum was lost. But taking that energy and translating it into action. So not just marching, but doing Mm -hmm. and following through. And Uh so... What gives me hope is that people are beginning to recognize the importance of or re-recognizing the importance of codependence mm. and the need for us to come together mm. to collectively solve these problems because we will end up being in a better place faster. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe in, oh, you know, it's going to take time. That's what we've always said, but mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman didn't say that. Mm-hmm. No, she didn't say that. Uh, she was an angel who walked back and forth thousands of miles, liberating people and helping mm-hmm. them to liberate themselves. So what gives me hope is the community, mm. the collectivism and the will to be able to get this stuff solved quickly and not accept you know, it takes time um, mm-hmm. because the time has passed mm-hmm. you know, and, and we are human beings and we deserve the right to live to our fullest potential now, mm. right now, mm-hmm. not tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think if we keep that in mind, that we deserve to have our fullest potential right now like mm-hmm. everyone else does mm-hmm. it'll keep us moving forward in yep. a collective fashion amen to that <laughs> dr Otler. i'm, I'm going to let you close it out <laughs> well i'm going to close it out by uh uh quoting uh, my favorite quote when i, I saw it on t-shirts when it said harriet tubman i would have freed more if they knew they were enslaved mm. and i always ask how do I let this person know? Same thing with mm. your work. How do I free you from tobacco? How do I free you, not just from tobacco, but the enslavement that you need this in your life and that your money is going to something that can harm you? I, and that has to be your scientific bottom line question. I mean, the work that you do with these titles, yeah, that's there. But I know that the, the thing that gives you motivation and passion is to say, how do I make this person connect these dots in a place that has uh, poor 
educational infrastructure, you know, that we have in the South. And the other quote is the time by Martin Luther King um, is the time is always right. Time is always now, right, to mm -hmm. do the right thing. And so those are things that give me hope to say it is now. The mm -hmm. time, the time is now. And uh, do what you can do, you know, because we don't have forever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are the things that give me hope and that, uh, that I'm able to use my talent uh, to contribute to the betterment of mankind and, and she kind. Uh, that's, that's what I tell my uh, mentees that call me and they're getting disillusioned about medicine, mm -hmm. uh, disillusioned about their promotions that they're not getting by being part of the institution that paid, played the game right. Why didn't I become a chair? Why didn't I say, you know how many physicians had the black physicians did it the best they could by patients Knowing their heart, they were better. Knowing their heart, they were smarter, and became disillusioned with medicine and uh, you know tuck tail and just left, you know. Uh, and you see them walking through the halls, and I try to engage them and say, "Hey, talk to me about what's going on here. Talk to me about your role," uh, because they inspire me to then say, "Okay, you need to communicate uh, this information to patients, and you need to." lead uh, students and residents to understand their communities better. We're not just numbers. We're not just a big old bucket uh, of folk, you know, who just happen to be walking through the door. We are uh, individuals with families that love us. Uh, we have a charge to do in medicine. Uh, so I think that's what gives me hope is that uh, I, I'm using my talents now uh, in a way to be proactive uh, that is being appreciated both on the institutional level and in the community level. So that's what gives me uh, hope to keep moving. And uh, I appreciate you for uh, having me, Dr. Addy. Uh, this is very uh, uh, special to me to be able to be part of a larger growing platform. Uh, Dr. Fagan, you've actually given us a, a platform, a voice, a mm -hmm. place that our voices can be heard because I wouldn't have known about you, fabulous sister. So I sure appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, and so the work continues. So thank mm. you. Amen to that as well. Well, thank you to both of you for being here, for everything that you're doing, everything you share with our listeners. As I already said, I'm definitely going to be going back and listening to this one a few times with all the, the pearls of wisdom that you that you mentioned that you dropped on this episode and just the words of encouragement as well for the ways that we mm -hmm. can really move forward collectively. So I look forward to our past continuing to cross and as we continue in this work together to really have that place of connectivity and collectivity yeah. as well. So thank you to both of you for being here on the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for the platform. We congratulations to you for congratulations. Um, sticking with it mm. and giving this forum to the people and letting mm. us be part of that forum as well. Oh, of course. That it's means a lot coming special, from you, for both of you. So. It, it's a very special platform and your, 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 your guests have been diverse and empowering. So thank you. 